Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Asban, here with my friend and Chabruta, Anne Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yuma, daf Chafbab, page 26. So we have two Mishnayos here. I think each of us will take a Mishnah and talk a little bit about the Mishnah and the Gemara. Um, and the first Mishnah here is going to deal with the second and third lottery, sorry, the third and fourth lottery that took place in the Beit HaMikdash, right? We know that there were, on a regular day, there were four lotteries that took place to sort of divide up the avoda to be done that day. Hapai Sashlishi, so this third casting of the lot, um, so some announcement was made, and they would say all the new Kohanim, meaning new Kohanim who've never done the service, the Avoda of the Ketorah, they should come and they can cast the lots here. Um, and the Gemara we'll talk about in a minute explains why it specifically has to be new Kohanim, meaning somebody who's never had the Ketorah before. But the fourth set of lots right, which was for Mima Aleph, who determined who would bring the limbs up onto the Mizbeach, um, those were done by new and old. In other words, if you had done the Avoda before, or if you had not done the Avoda before, you were allowed to participate in that particular lottery. So there was something special specifically about the Ketorah that it can only be done by somebody who never did the Ketorah before. Now the Gemara will explain why. Tana, there was a Brisa that taught Right, a person never repeated it. In other words, in the life of you, of a person who was a Kohen, you only did the Ketorah at one time, which really is very interesting if you think about it. Now, remember, one of the things we talked about yesterday is if you were a Kohen, it's not like you were working even 300, let's say 300 days out of the year, right? You didn't work that often. Um, you did your weekly Mishmar. Um, and then even with the Mishmar, when you were called up, you only had one day where you were part of your Beit Av, your family of Kohanim, you would be, you know, in the lottery. But the other six days, you're not working. It's only on that day. And then the Chagim, you know, sort of more Kohanim would come to work. Um, but it's not like you worked actually all that often. So it actually does make sense that probably you didn't really have much of an opportunity to do it more than once in your lifetime as a Kohan. And so the question is, why is that? My time, what's the reason? I'm a Rabbi Hanina. Because it brings prosperity to the person who does it. So there's some sort of special bracha or blessing by doing the ketoret. It brings wealth to that person. And so we literally the wealth. We don't want one Kohen to get it more than once. We want him to have an opportunity that they could become wealthy or be blessed like this. And then the Gemara explains, how do they learn that? my time. What's the reason for this? How do we know this, that it brings prosperity? So they quote here a puzzle from Devarim, chapter 33, verse 10, that says, they shall place incense in your presence, right? Meaning in God's presence. And the following pasuk in uh, verse 11, it says, Hashem bless Hashem his resources, right? That Hashem will bless the person who brings this ketorah. That's put it together. Now, the Gemara question on that, which is, he, he, ha, he, so bringing a korban ola should also bring prosperity because really that full pasuk yud reads yasimu kator ba'pecha hakitiv right but now the gemara quotes the second ab the chalil al mizbecha right and a burnt offering on your altar so the question is and then it follows with that pasuk barich hashem chelo so how do we know barich hashem chelo only applies to the ketoret and doesn't apply to the part of chalil al mizbecha amarlei so Abai explains to Rav Papa. Right, the Ola is given very frequently. In other words, 
Over the course of the day, you could have many olot that would be given. But with the ketoret, it's not frequent, right? It really is only going to be brought um, once. And therefore, uh, you know, it's, it's considered to be much more special. Um, and that's why it specifically now has incense, uh, has, uh, you know, is only done once and is only given once. Um, you know, I find this interesting because I don't really think the proof, you know, how Abai explains this to our papa really answers the question. And more likely, I think probably the Ketoret sort of because of what it is, that it is done infrequently. Um, it, I would also argue it's sort of the more pleasant part they had to do during the day. Sort of maybe took on its own mystique and was really considered. And the fact that, again, you didn't so frequently, you were not so frequently in the Beit HaMikdash as a Kohen that probably you only got to do it once. So I think, you know, the question is, does it really have that mystique or did they find a Pasuk to further its mystique? Like, what is it about the Ketoret itself? You know, which one actually came first? The understanding that it brought prosperity or, you know, you know, it becomes sort of the the mythic avoda in a way, as I feel like this is what this uh, particular Gemara is speaking to. I think also it's interesting that, you know, this is a daily thing. Day in, day out. We've talked about how that can become risks being tedious. And the fact that it's different people doing it every day changes that completely on its head, first of all. And then in the fact that it's established that you could only do it once, you know, it's at least this aspect of the day-to-day potential for tedium is not is no longer so potentially tedious. I would agree with that. And I think, yes, even though the day in and day out probably became tedious, Right. The Kohanim didn't do it that frequently, that it's not like this is what they did every day, day in and day out. And I think when they actually did the Avoda, it must have been special. So it's interesting to see the other things like the using the lottery, you know, to sort of even make that singular day experience of your year or of your Mishmar period. Also interesting. I'm just going to read the next part of the Gemara and then Anne, I'll hand it over to you. I'm a rabbi. Right. So now there's just sort of an interesting little piece that comes here. Lo Mashachad Surba. You will not find Torah scholars who decide the law, except those who come from the tribe of Levi, or who come from the tribe of Yisachar. So for Levi, they know that because now this is also part of the Pasuk in uh, that we quoted uh, of Pasuk Yud in, in Devarim uh, chapter 33, because it says, Levi, uh, you know, they will teach the, the ordinances, right? They'll teach the mishpat to Yaakov. And Yisachar Ketiv, and for Yisachar it says, Yisachar Yisrael. Um, and this is a pasuk in Deeper Hayamim Aleph, um, in Chronicles 1, chapter 12, verse 33, where it says, the tribe of Yisachar are men with understanding of the times to know what Israel should do. So we have these two psukim that specifically mention sort of this ability to teach and this understanding of Levi and Yisachar. So now the Gemara wants to question Rav's statement, so it's interesting to me. The Gemara's question, I think, would have been like, okay, but really, like, you don't think there was never a Talmud Chacham from any other? Instead, it's And why? Because for Yehuda, there's a Pasuk, and this is a Pasuk from Tehillim, uh, chapter 60, verse 9, where it says, Yehuda Yehuda is my lawgiver. And so Rava answers, Asuke Shmata Aliba referring to the scholars who can conclude legal discussions, uh, sort of, or, or who can, you know, sort of teach legal discussions um, within the halakha itself, where it's more Yehuda 
is my lawgiver, I think means more that like Yehuda, they're the kings, um, but they're not the ones who really expect or teach halacha. So uh, kind of a funny little tangent here. Again, it's because they were talking about one of the psukim. It's an exposition and one of the psukim that was mentioned before. Um, but it's, you know, funny to me, like, did they go through all the Tanaim and Amoraim? Um, well, I mean, I guess we lost Sheva Yisachar, but, you know, so the, the numbers Fatim are much, much less. Um, but it's hard to believe that this was really believed to be a hard and fast rule, but it seems like it was, according to the Gemara, at least. Um, yeah, I wonder how it really panned out. It's not so clear to me. You know, how much of this is yeah, it, after it, the fact, trying to figure out what must have been, you know. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to pick up the next Mishnah. It's Kavav Amud Bet. Um, towards the top of the daf of the Amud, I guess. Tamid Karev Betisha Basara Bachadasar Bishnemasar Lo Pachot Yoter. Now, this kind of Mishnah, we see this style every so often where there's like a, an event or a, a practice that one could do, and then a whole bunch of numbers. And the numbers here turn out to usually be, you know, the days of the month, let's say. We have that with Megillah. In this case, it's the number of people who, you know, following up on the Mishnah from not the one you just read, Yordana, but the one before that, the the nine people who would be part- the Kohanim, nine Kohanim, who would be participating in the carrying of the limbs of the Korban itself. Tamid Kariv Batisha, so that's with nine people, Ba'asara, or with ten people, Ba'asara, or eleven, B'shnei Masar, or with twelve. Lo Pachot Yoter means not ever eight, and not ever more than twelve. So then the Gemara says, uh, the Mishnah here, sorry, it says, Kitzad, how is that? Atzmo Batisha, Bachad, Bachag, Bayad, Chad, Tzluchit, Shomayim, Harekan, Asara. So they say, how could you get to, you know, any, how do you get these, all these variety of numbers, really? So it says, well, you know, the daily tamid, that's nine people. We already talked about that in the, when it was mentioned in the two Mishnayot ago. And then on Sukkot, Bachag, Chag itself, the word holiday um, in Gemara means Sukkot. So Bachag on Sukkot, they would hand over a, a jug of water. Right for the for the nisu for the water libation, and so then you have somebody carrying that, so that's ten, right? Fine, and then ben arbayim um Okay, so then ben arbayim bachadasar. So once you've got the daily afternoon offering, now you've got eleven participating. But how is that? Who atzmo betisha ushnayim biadam itzim. So you end up with you have the two priests, the two akonim, who are holding the logs that are going to be placed on the Mizbeach, right? And now that was part of the first lottery. Who's going to end up doing that? But so, but at the end of the day, we still end up with them being participants, right? This is the number of people involved. And then, Bashabat Bachadasar, who at, so on Shabbos they would have eleven people. How is that possible? Who at Mobatisha Vishnayim Biadam. So now again, on Shabbos, there would be 11 participants because you've got nine, the basic guys carrying the animal. And then you've got two extra Kohanim who are doing the Ketorah itself that goes with the Lechem Now, that Ketorah burns on Shabbos. So then, the, then it takes us to another case of Shabbos, right? Namely, and the other time of a Shabbos, that falls out during Sukkot. And then not only do you have the Ketoret, right, the extra 
people around, but you also have the Nisul Hamayim person that we talked about to get to ten to begin with, right? So basically, the Mishnah just outla- outla- outlines, sorry, different um, different possibilities in terms of how many people would be needed to do the avoda of the or to do this prep rather of that day. Now, I would say also that this is not. These numbers, 9, 10, 11, 12, these are not optional, meaning it's the count of however many people happen to be needed that day, according to the Mishnah, according to the Gemara. If somebody said, oh, you know what, we're going we're gonna to manage just fine, you know, this seems to suggest that that's not enough, right? They, that it has to be something, um, you know, within the parameters that, that the Mishnah outlines. You don't get to you don't get to turn it down and be a starker. And also you can't pull in more other extra people to help more, at least not based on this. Yeah, it seems like it's a very strict number. Like it has to be this number, no more, no less. And also, we're still we're, we're, when we you know when we first read that Mishnah, I said like, oh my goodness, it's really a lot of people. Now I had the feeling that it's still a lot of people from from even more people, but you've got nine people carrying the different parts of the animal. So I mean that is what is necessary. But to say that you need, what, another nine people seems a little bit, you know, over the top. Yeah, I, I would agree. Okay. Um, now, the Gemara here basically talks, I mean, look, really goes through all these different cases, right? I want to just look at the, the Nisu Hamayim, the water libation that they, that becomes the first extra on top of the nine, right? So, um, it's not clear who exactly said this. So this position, this position is not clear who is being ascribed to. So they would not have this water libation on on Sukkot except for in the morning. Because how do we they know that it should be only in the morning? Because of the second case of Nisochamayim that's mentioned in this Mishnah, where it says that they would you know bring a jug. That on Shabbos, when Shabbos happens to fall out on Sukkot or whatever, the Shabbat that falls out on Sukkot, right? So then these guy he has a jug of water, right? And he's bringing that to everybody else, which suggests, one second, let's keep going in the If you came to think, if it, if it popped into your head to think that the afternoon Korban Tamid had this Niso Chamaim, had this water libation, so there's no, it says, but on a regular weekday, you also would have that same afternoon libation. So then there's no, there's nothing innovative about it to be talking about it now. This is the very fact that you're talking about it clearly must be that we're talking about the morning because the afternoon is kind of the default time that you would think that someone would come to, to do this particular kind of um, activity. So I, I find this interesting also in terms of the assumptions, right, and how they conclude it. Um, and also that at the end of the day, right? Meaning it's considered legitimate. In the morning, they would give the person who has a jug of water is counted as number 10 in the morning, in the morning setup of the Corbinot. No, I would agree. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of this on the next stop is like sort of the way they really break down every element of the Avoda and like, which part is it? Is it part of the night? Is it part of the day? Who's allowed to perform it? Like there's a lot of trying to figure out like, I'm not sure I totally get the internal structure, but they're they're definitely trying to come up with some type of internal structure to the Avoda itself. 
I think also they knew, right? Meaning, I understand that Chazal are many generations after the actual Beit HaMikdash, and the people in the Beit HaMikdash were more up on things, perhaps, than the people who were Chazal. But they still, all of them, were much more conscious and conscientious about the details of how all of this is supposed to pan out. They weren't learning it from Dafyomi. They weren't learning it from a class that was going to teach them this stuff, you know, as they went. They learned it because it was just the way things worked. And it was, you know, I'm sure they had to have some formal education about it, but it was but it was part and parcel of how things were going as opposed to coming to it, you know, hundreds, thousand, you know, a couple of thousand years later and parsing it back together. I think that's really an excellent point, right? They're, they're not they don't have a text to learn it from. They're sort of exactly putting it together. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.